I'm Denzel Mohammed, and this is a special episode of Jobmakers. Afghan refugees who've helped U.S. and coalition forces have begun their resettlement here. The U.S. has long given refuge to those forced to flee. That's how the United States of America began. And in so doing, it has enriched itself through the fighting spirit of those determined to survive. But for how long will America's embrace last? Will public support for resettling Afghans here hold? And furthermore, what does the American public really know about these refugees from Afghanistan? For Abdul Sabur Sakizada, who worked as an instructor, manager, and translator for the U.S. Army in Kabul, it is not just crucial but necessary that the U.S. take in those who have helped our brave soldiers. In this two-part special of Jobmakers, we get to know Afghanistan and its people, examine the fallout of the government collapse, and learn how Abdul is actively working in the most difficult and chaotic of circumstances to get as many evacuated as possible. This week, we hear about the fascinating but tragic life in Afghanistan from Abdul, a self-described child of war. And we discover what those 50,000 interpreters had to endure every day, fueled by patriotism and targeted as traitors in this special episode of Jobmakers. Abdul Sabur Sakizara, thank you for joining us on Jobmakers. Uh, it's such an honor to have you on. How are you? I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me on the on the program. So obviously, we're going to talk about Afghanistan. But first of all, paint us a picture. What was life like in Afghanistan growing up? Uh, so, you know, oftentimes I refer to myself as the child of war. I was born in the 1990s uh, in Afghanistan. And for anyone who that knows the history uh, of that part of the world, you know, it's it's nothing but destruction, violence, um, uh, and justice uh, taking place, and obviously, right around 1990s, uh, you had the civil war, and you had then you had the dictatorship of the Taliban. So I grew up right around that time. I was born around that time. I went to school um, right around that time, and then up until 2001. So um, yes, I, I, I could, I could, I guess I could officially say that I was I was a child who didn't get to play with toys. Uh, I we we got to play with, um, you know, sitting at home and counting the bullets that was crossing uh, over over our heads and rockets and the airplanes, the jets that would fly around. So it, it was, um, you know, looking back, you know, uh, I guess we're blessed in a way or I am blessed in a way that, to survive um, that, um, um, that sort of destruction that took place in that part of the region. But um, consider myself for, from that regard to having survived it lucky. But, it, you know, it was... I, I wish that I wish that life for no one because it's um, it's a state of hopelessness and you know it's it's quite quite challenging. You reflect on your childhood and you're amazed that you survived. Wow, that's that's absolutely fascinating and and really tragic. Uh, you know what was you talk about counting bullets and jets? What exactly was happening around you? I mean, so it was, it was uh, the, the the country. You know. Um, um, the country was divided, or the city, and at least the capital where I lived, or where my parents lived, 
uh, the city was 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 divided into different sections, and you know the civil war and these different groups, uh, mostly um, divided by their old ethnic ethnic ethnicity of um, different ethnics fighting for power. Um, you know, created a whole chaos of you know you know uh, the the search for power. They struggled to see who was going to be the most dominant force in the society, and and then what you had in the middle of all these. Uh, fighters or these groups, you had people like us who were living in and, um, you know, getting hit from every corner. Um, uh, sometimes you had to make this um, 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 risky journey from one side of the city to another side by going through one group of people pretending to be someone else while transitioning to another group of people, then pretending to be someone else. Um, so it was it was quite challenging. Um, obviously, a famine, the economic instability, the 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 the, um, the the difficulties of not making you making sure that you have enough food uh, on the table or uh, at home for the families was was very very difficult. Like every morning, we would go buy a pound of sugar or something because that's all we could afford. We didn't have a saving stock of food that we could rely on at home, um, and so. It was it was crazy. There are countless numbers of days that I we we slept without food because we didn't have it. We had to be strategic about how we want to eat in different times of the day because we know we couldn't make it. We didn't have a three time meal. It, it was it was you know, like I said. I, I started by saying I wish that for nobody. Um, quite challenging, and as a child, being very active, you always want food. You always want bread. Um, and then you go to your parents for giving me bread, um, uh, and there isn't any, so it's hard. It's a hard, it's a hard uh, life to live under. And, and uh, but that's beyond, that's past now. Um, I, again, quite lucky to have survived that, and I know millions of people did not make it. So you talk about such insecurity and instability. Uh, what was education for you? Was that a vehicle that? You know, traditionally, we think of education as the way out of poverty, the way out of difficult circumstances. Where did education lead you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting question because um, reflecting back, you know, because you could not forecast what the future would look like, you know, a lot of folks would go, you know, nowadays we, we talk about, oh, I want to go to school because I want to be doctor. I want to be an engineer. I want to be this particular um, astronaut or whatever. Um, but when I went to school, those ideas of what do I want to become or what path do I want to take from early on in my education was not even a question mark in our heads. Uh, honestly, a lot of days uh, we went to school, it was just to get away from home and have something to do other than just sitting at home and not being able to do anything. Um, and the schools we went into, I mean, I, I remember our classrooms didn't have windows. Uh, our classroom didn't have roof. And, and sometimes the school was so boring because we didn't have enough teachers and stuff. And because uh, we had, you know, there was no roof, there was no windows. We were praying, there were days we would pray for the rain to come because when it rained, the school was dismissed. Everyone would go home. And so <laughs> it was so funny. We had no chair, no tables. Um, and we would all sit on the floor. I remember, I remember to these days when I was in like, I, I can't, it was fifth or sixth grade um, during the Taliban regime. Uh, we used to wear turbans. Um, they were, we were forced to wear turbans. And it was very difficult for me and my peers in my classroom 
um, in my classmates to uh, to manage the turbine because if it fell off, you had to organize it back in your head, and you you have to you have to learn the the basics of how to put a turbine back together. But you know, there were other subjects like we never you know all of the all of the subjects that we studied were all different fields of an introfate. Uh, an intraphate, not intraphate, but intraphate of you know diving deep into different books and different avenues of understanding the religious. It's almost it was almost like a religious school, except that it was considered to be a public school. It was almost you know everything you know, everything we were getting was you had the teachers. The teachers were all sort of mullahs, those religious scholars or religious um, uh, uh, teachers who would come in and teach subjects. Our 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 math teacher was a mullah. At some point, you started fighting in that country, didn't you? You joined? Did you join the military? Uh, no. So you know, you know. Fast forward. You know, when uh, when the U.S. invaded Afghanistan in two thousand one, um, I was still in school. I was still, um, you know, studying. My my oldest brother um, um, was old enough to, um, you know, support U.S. 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 operation or U.S. Uh, mission in Afghanistan, and so he he joined with the special forces and he became an interpreter and. He, um, he he offered support, and you know, for in, in from an economic standpoint, we needed that extra help at home. We, my parents needed it, and so yeah, he he was another uh, you know um, another person to bring bread on the table, and so it made sense. And um, and and there was not much else to do. Um, so my brother initially started this this path of us joining and and fighting the resistance or the insurgencies and and the better hopes, you know, because early on the U.S. mission was. You know, after after the government was taken, the interim government was formed. You know, the ideas of constitutional democracy. You know, girls going back into school and all of it. So, it, it, this 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 hope, this level of this this new new idea just emerged into our heads, and that was hope. You could be anything. You could do anything, and and you could become an engineer. These new concepts began emerging that we we had no ideas. TVs uh, began coming back to life, and. Uh, we, I did not know what TVs were like at that time or before during the Taliban um, and music and all of these things. So, um, um, you know, kind of fast forward, uh, when I graduated high school, um, you know, uh, following my two oldest brothers, I kind of, um, um, I followed the same path. And in my own capacity, um, I began serving and in, in, um, uh, helping U.S. soldiers and coalition soldiers uh, coalition um, international community to to kind of fight back and establish this new um, uh, you know new shining city that's about to rise. Uh, you could see it above the horizon, or these ideas that are coming up into to existence. So you you could kind of imagine what that feeling would be like that you're not like a soldier grabbing weapon to fight because you know the the last thing you want as a child or as a young teenager, the last thing you want to be is is that. You want to be close to guns and weapons um, uh, because you grew up right around it. So that's the, that that's you had you had enough of that. And so my my goal was to um, to support the U.S. mission and you know and yet simultaneously helping my my own communities thrive, uh, establish a government, uh, build a system where uh, everyone was my own sisters and everyone could go to school. And so that that kind of opened up the path for um, my sense of you know patriotism of, of helping, helping build that nation. So that's where kind of where I 
not necessarily putting a, a soldier's quote unquote soldier uniform on, but perhaps in my own capacity, in my own um, way, serving that um, build the communities, our communities. That's absolutely astonishing that, that suddenly you had hope and all these things that we take for granted, music, uh, televisions, just cultures, knowing about all these different things that you lived in such an insular world for your whole childhood. Yeah, I mean, um, it's crazy because I, sometimes I go to high schools and I present, I talk to high school, uh, senior high school students that are about to go to uh, college Um um, and I and I talk about sort of these ideas that don't take these things for granted. Um, you know, you got windows, you got air condition in your school. Oh my God, um, these are unfamiliar concepts to a lot of people in different parts of the region. And I'm not saying that. You know, I think that societies like United States right now had to had to do what it had to do to get to where they are now. But but the fact that you could appreciate what you have is a whole different dimension. Uh, of 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 realities that you have to deal with as you're growing up because you know that you know you could you could be in a different part of the world and struggle in life without all of these things that you don't have electricity for example computers imagine writing hundreds and hundreds of pages of notes without having a computer or a cell phone <laughs> i saw an interview with you on fox news and you 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 spoke about your time in afghanistan helping the forces uh including with uh pete hegseth is it Tell us what it was like working as an interpreter. Yeah, so uh, you know, with with Pete Hexett and everyone, so we ran what's uh, what's referred to as the as the Counterinsurgency Training Center, Afghanistan, and that was right around in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Um, um, U.S. mission began changing from hunting the insurgency to winning or nation building to counterinsurgency. This ideas of of coin winning the hearts and minds of the people, and so. Uh, we we um, I was one of the first. I mean, Pete Hexa came later on, but when the se- inception of that academy took place, I was I was pretty much the only guy from the um, the beginning of this program. And <coughs> excuse me. And soldiers would always go back and forth and deploy, and they would complete their tours or complete their deployment and return back to their homes. Homes, and uh, Pete Hexa came in, and that was right around time when um, I I began slowly changing my role from. Um, doing interpretation to an administrative role to more of a teaching, uh, becoming an advisor, teaching soldiers on culture, on language, on history, on politics, um, and you know, and then you know, helping folks like like um, like Pete Hexett understand what it is like to work with Afghans uh, and a lot of other soldiers who were getting deployed in Afghanistan, and so every soldier. Uh, up until 2013, when the transition period began for that center that we were working on, because Afghans started beginning, Afghan security forces began taking that sort of a doctrine of counterinsurgency doctrine and embedded into their system. Um, we, um, um, you know, uh, we were teaching them, and every soldier that entered, you know, Afghanistan, they would have to go through our training center for five days before they would get deployed to their actual work zone or work area. And so that's where Peter and I were pretty much instructors or you know, advisors teaching them how to do this, um, um, both in the capital, but also traveling outside capital, making making trips to do it in the region. Pete mentioned, you know, once this was not your job, but you were with uh, him and other officers and you all were pulling bodies out of vehicles, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we had to, you know, I, as a young man, I had to experience some some terrible, terrible sceneries that, you know, 
there was one thing of 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 being in your home and seeing the bl- bullets and rockets go above your head and you're counting them. And then there's another feeling of you're actually in the mix of the war zone. You're actually seeing bullets sh- being shot at you. So it's a different feeling uh, uh, early on in Afghanistan when I when I when I started joining the military because I was I was right there with the soldiers. So um, there were a couple instances where um, the service members um, uh, of United States service members, but also coalition, were uh, were attacked and and. Um, and the second one that I was part of, the first one, Pete wasn't even in Afghanistan back then, but the first one, the second one, Pete Hexted and I, myself, we, um, um, we jumped in on the becoming the QRF team, the, the quick uh, reaction team that responded to that, um, um, that responded to that VBID that took place, that took a bunch of our students, basically, they targeted a bunch of our students that were supposed to come and start a class. And so we we responded to that. And then that was when Pete was talking about how um, um, I, we were pulling um, um, uh, bodies of soldiers and civilians uh, from vehicles that were destroyed or basically were burning. Um, so a, a, a quite a horrible uh, moment to, to live through. Uh, but that was something we had to do what we had to do because that was the that was what we had to sign what we signed up for um not necessarily to uh, pull dead bodies every single day but that was part of the struggle that was part of the battle that was part of the mission is that you're going to end up finding yourself in those moments and you have to be prepared to respond and so that was what Pete was referring to in my interview and he was exactly right this this was your environment, right? I mean, this is this is where you live. This is what was happening. That's really, really fascinating. What was so part of what I'm doing here with you right now, at least in this portion of, of the podcast, is painting that picture and having the American public understand what this place was like, what you all were going through, what your childhood was like, to really understand the very, very stark differences. I mean, it's a world away. Um, what a lot of what you're describing to me. Um, what was the experience like for you personally working with the U.S. military? What did that feel like, and what was the public reaction to your working with the military? I mean, f- traditionally, from a family standpoint, right? So my brother had um, my my oldest brother began working, and then my second oldest, and then uh, followed up to me. It, it was all the sense of patriotism. You're you're doing something for your country. You're helping build the nation. You're you're doing all of this. Um, work and even you know even up you know reflecting on what we did in afghanistan and uh, here we are i'm in, in the state side and you know knowing where the mission of the united states is right now basically ended and the way they withdrawal from afghanistan um um, um for, for for me or for us as a family uh, it always was a reflection of you know we had seen enough destruction we had seen enough violence we had seen enough um um horrific scenery of people getting killed millions of people fleeing the country taking refuge to the neighboring neighboring countries um you know i i I, we didn't have financially uh, it was not financially it was not feasible for my family to do Uh, i always always think about this because had it had my father had the financial means to emigrate or take refuge to other country we would have been probably somewhere else in the 1990s um 
but because we didn't do it, we couldn't, we didn't have the financial means to, to out migrate or to live, leave the country. You know, we had to basically uh, live and, and, and accept the realities that we lived. And so uh, it's, it, you know, I, I have to say that, you know, even when I, when I started working with the army uh, from this idea of patriotism, the sense of patriotism later on, the, the, conflict or this battle this this irregular war became so complicated that you know um the, the insurgents were very smart they knew you know that a lot of these soldiers like pete hexett would rely on abduls on a sabours and their interpreters and their cultural advisors to help them understand the ins and outs of the community so they could better serve those communities so they could better develop systems and policies that could help benefit the people and so and the insurgents what they had to do was they start they started hunting folks like me and folks like my brother and and others of of, of our peers and and because they knew what a critical role we played because essentially we were the eyes and ears of the u.s military in afghanistan we we knew the language we knew the body language we knew the culture we knew the dynamics that played into the um, you know, uh, the different ethnicities and, you know, you know, all of that. So, um, and they began hunting us and a lot of thousands of interpreters have lost their lives and advisors have lost their lives because they were, um, they were isolated and they, they were targeted. Um, and, and so that's, it, it's essentially that whole sense of patriotism of you being so proud of serving, building your nation essentially flipped on its head uh, and the other side of the coin was quite evil, quite dark. Um, and, and you have to go in hiding your identity. You, you had to disappear from society. You had to hide from your peers, from your friends. And so it, it, is, it, is a, it is an overnight shift that's sometimes psychologically very hard for you to process because here you are. You can't go to soccer games anymore. Here you are. You can't participate in, in, in wedding ceremonies. You can't be away from home when, when the sun sets and you, you, you know, you know, all of those things, you can't tell people what you're doing. Um, so it essentially paints this very negative, dark, um, picture in your mind. And, and you began questioning every single thing you do from that point on, not only for yourself, but also for your family, for your loved ones, because no one wants to identify my parents that his son is working because they could easily target him. I lost my uncle, um, my uncle in in um, in Host Province. Um, he he took uh, the he, he initiated the um, uh, bringing a chapter of a TV station that was aired in Kabul, the capital. He the, he he helped install their antennas in the host in one of the provinces in their districts that where he lived. And literally within three months, he was dead. They 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 dropped his his body in a in a bag in front of their house um and and so that was a lesson for uh, hundreds of other villagers in that area or people of that family um that this is what you get for doing this if you go against us this is what you get you're doing this work and you're talking about it within this frame of patriotism of doing things for your country and at the same time, you're seen as a traitor, someone betraying your country, and I guess your values and your history. And uh, that's absolutely fascinating. And, and how old were you when, when this is happening? So I started working uh, with the U.S. Armed Forces when I was 17 years old, right after high school. You know, it's, it's funny. Sometimes I talk about it and it hurts me because I played, uh, I played for the nationals of my country. I played soccer for the nationals of my country. And I, there was a one point when I started working um, that I had to bring 
money to the family that I had to decide between my soccer career versus working for the military. And, and I chose the latter, as you, as you could imagine. And I still think what we did was great. And I'm not trying to paint this negative picture, but, um, you know, seeing what my other brothers did and, and uh, follow, followed that path. You mentioned, you know, being seen as a traitor and, and betraying your country. And come to the present day, you also feel a sense of betrayal, but not from those people in Afghanistan, but from America and coalition forces. Thank you for joining us for the first of this two-part special of Jobmakers. Next week, we come to terms with the pullout of security forces and the chaos and dread that's resulted. Learn about the ad hoc and creative ways Abdul is getting family and friends out and find out how we can all be welcomers to those who helped us, those in need. We return to regular episodes of Jobmakers on October 14th. I'm Denzel Mohammed. Join us next Thursday at noon for the last of this two-part special of Jobmakers.